0: This podcast is brought to you by Catch the Fire Boulder, where we're more than a church. We're family. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please go to ctfboulder.com. So today I'm going to have us read our Bibles. So if you have a Bible or you don't have a Bible, there should be one in one of your chairs. Uh, We're going to open to Philippians 4. Sorry, Philippians. We're going to read the book of Philippians today. It's actually a letter. It was written by Paul, and it was while he was in prison waiting for trial. And he wasn't sure if he was going to be be killed or if he was going to be let go. And so we're going to see a little bit about what he's talking about there. But before we get into it, today we're starting a new series. It's about having a healthy heart and healthy relationships. Healthy Heart and Relationships, and I thought there's no better book in the Bible than Philippians to talk about having a healthy heart. Has anybody ever known one of these really annoying people who are always happy? It's like nothing can get them down, <laughs> and, and you're like, when are you going to have a bad day? You know, they're, they're always smiling, they're always finding the good in things, they're a little bit Pollyanna. I've met some people like this. There was a lady I used to work with in California, and she was always happy, and I asked her about it. I'm like, do you ever have a bad day? And she's like, no, I just have the joy of the Lord. And I was like, wow. And I I remember that because it was so different. It was, you know, when I feel like complaining, that's not the lady I want to talk to, (laughs) right? Because she's going to try to cheer me up. She's going to try to encourage me. You know, misery loves company. That's not the company that you find when you're in misery. It's kind of like salt in the wound you know where it's just like ah that hurts or you know when you just want to sit in darkness it's they're just shiny and isn't that what God calls us to do to be salt and light (laughs) rubbing salt in people's wounds by making them happy when they just want to wallow in their misery so as we approach Thanksgiving Christmas New Year's the holiday season A lot of people feel you can um, feel down. Some people do. Uh, We want to focus on having a healthy heart. And next week, Steve and Christy are going to talk about this again. But uh, we want to foster healthy relationships, too. It can be difficult if you've lost loved ones. You know, Steve and Christy have this year, and uh, I'm sure others have as well. Uh, it can be difficult if you have a strained or a broken relationship with a kid with a spouse with you know family or whatever. Uh, also, if you have unrealistic expectations, if you just expect things to go a certain way, they always have, but this year's going to be different, you can be let down. you can be disappointed and so we all struggle with this natural tendency to feel negative, to have negative feelings right we we've just innately it's inside of us we have fears we worry about things we have concerns we are pessimistic sometimes sometimes we just feel like there's no hope this feeling of hopelessness Um, and even anxiety you know just worried about stuff all the time you know feeling like if I worry at least I'm doing something about it well we're gonna see in Philippians that Paul calls us to pray instead of worry And instead of having anxiety, but it's a real thing. The spiritual gravity It's like, it pulls us down and you see it in the news. They never have like today. I didn't open up my newspaper or my app and see, Oh, it's another beautiful Sunday morning, sunny outside. There was no homicides this week, you know, in Denver, things are great. People are following the speed limit. No crashes, you know, you just don't see that in the newspaper. You don't see that on your news app. What do you see instead? You see negative things because that captures more eyeballs. Um, Has anybody ever, I'm sure, all of us, have been criticized at some point in our life? Does it, if if somebody says something good right after that, does it balance? It's like you need five good things before you feel balanced, right? And it's that same thing with behavior. If you've ever been late to a meeting, you can't just be on time the next time and everything's okay. You have to be on time or early the next five times to show that actually that was just a a one-off. I'm not being disrespectful. I'm not out of control in my life, right? Uh, we have this spiritual gravity, and so what do we do? We, we tend to cover it. We tend to hide behind it, like Adam in the garden, fig leaves. We just heard about this yesterday in Men's Breakfast, that um, you know we hide behind it using different things like entertainment. That's probably the most popular uh, one is entertainment. You can go home and watch a movie. You can watch a TV show. You can read a book. Whatever it is. Um, there's other worse ones, but it's like a bandage. You know, it uh, it just covers. And it's it's meant to distract us from what we feel like. Uh, that way, we can't deal with our fears. We can't deal with our worries. We can't deal with our concerns because if you're laughing at comedy, you're not thinking about all of your cares. If you're distracted by drama, you don't you're not thinking about that thing that you're going through right now. Uh, what if you're sucked into a video game? Like you can't think of hardly anything else but you know getting to the next level or whatever it is. So. It's a very common and popular way to deal with spiritual gravity, entertainment, but the Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. And that's hard for us sometimes. In Deuteronomy 26 verse 11, it actually says, "You and you shall rejoice. That's in the English Standard Version. It also says in the New Living Translation, you may go and celebrate. And that word, rejoice or celebrate, is Samach, which is a Hebrew word that means to rejoice or to celebrate. Uh, It also means to be glad, or to take delight in, or to cheer up, or to have joy. But basically it means, be happy. So do you see that's a command? That's actually an instruction? You shall be happy, is essentially what it's telling you. Now, I might hear somebody saying, but I can't control my feelings, yeah, you can. Otherwise, you wouldn't be commanded to. Because one thing I know from reading the Bible is that we're rarely commanded to do something that comes easily. Show me chapter and verse where it says you're going to eat three square meals every day. It's not there. Show me the chapter and verse where, hey, it's time for you to go love your kids and your, your wife. You know, what it does say about dads is don't um, drive your kids crazy. What's that? Um, don't... Uh, don't exasperate them. Thank you, Doug. Doug knows that one. He's a, he's a good dad. <laughs> uh, so we are commanded to do things that don't come naturally, that don't come easily to us. And so we have this natural default in a wrong direction, this spiritual gravity. So we see in Philippians 4.4, which we're going to read, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say Rejoice. That same idea of be happy, actually do something, have joy. Um, In Luke 26 verse 23, Jesus actually says, when talking about when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they mock you, when they use your name as if you're evil, he says, when that happens to you, rejoice. In fact, leap for joy. Do you see how that's actually a behavior? It's something you can do. Because what he's saying is snap out of it. Do something that will make your emotions follow. Be happy. And then we also see, so we saw Philippians, we saw Deuteronomy, and we saw even Jesus saying it. We see it in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament. It's consistent throughout scripture. We are commanded to be happy. And here's another one. If I can't control my feelings, why do we have the 10th commandment? We're already instructed not to steal. So we can't even want to steal? We can't even want to have something that doesn't belong to us? No. You're not allowed to feel that way, versus in in the 10 Commandment. And uh, so how can I be happy when I don't feel happy? Well, Paul's going to explain that in Philippians. It's the epistle of joy. I mentioned he's awaiting trial. He's about, he doesn't know if he's going to be executed. Uh, He's writing to the Philippian church, which he established on his second missionary journey, and they were the first church to partner with him financially. He had a long-standing relationship with this church over many years, and he was essentially writing this letter as a thank you gift, because they had just sent Epaphroditus with a financial gift, and him to stand there and minister with Paul while he's in prison. And so he's writing this, this uh, thank you letter, and you see a lot of good things here. You know a lot of other epistles, uh, like in Corinthians, he's saying expel the immoral brother. In Galatians, he's like, you foolish Galatians, you're, you shouldn't believe that way. He doesn't do that in Philippians. It's an encouraging letter. He's do- not correcting anything, but he is, you know, he can't help it. He goes into teaching mode. And so five keys that I took away from this, five T's... Are first thankfulness, gratefulness. It's hard to be stewing in your misery when you're thankful for things. You know, so if you notice yourself slipping downward on that spiritual gravity scale, start thinking of the things you're thankful for. You know, like if you're sitting in traffic and somebody cuts you off. Thank you, God, that I even have a car. <laughs> thank you that I have enough money to put gas in my car. Thank you that my headlight's not out or whatever, that my car isn't damaged. You know, that I'm able to get around. And, and you know, I wouldn't even have this problem if I had to walk everywhere. So thank you, God, <laughs> right? You can change anything to thankfulness and gratefulness. The second T is to spend time with people, relationships. Fellowship. And if you feel like you're slipping downward, maybe it's because you feel isolated. Maybe it's because you feel lonely. And maybe you just need to find somebody to be in relationship with. And what's a great way to be in relationship with somebody? To provide value to their life, to make them feel happy, to give them something that they need, right? And as you do that to somebody else, how does that make you feel? It lifts everybody. Lifts your spirits. It builds that connection. The next T, so we have, first of all, thankfulness, time with people. The third one is treat others as if they were better than yourself, care for them. And Paul talks about how Jesus did that for us in this epistle. Trust is the fourth one. We need to trust. We need to transfer our cares to God. We need to have faith that he's going to take that from us and give us his peace instead. You know how he's saying today, we surrender and then we need to be filled. We need to lay down our anxiety so that we can accept his peace. You have to rid yourself of one in order to fill yourself with the next. And then last, think, last T, think on things above. If you're you're feeling negative negative. It's because you're thinking of yourself or you're thinking of what you don't have or you're thinking of your problems or you're thinking of something that's not helpful. And if you can instead think about things that are higher, it will help you to lift your spirits. And we're going to see that. So we're going to read through this verse by verse. I brought a parallel translation, new international version, and the message. I think we probably have New King James or ESV up here. So you're going to get a lot. Let's just get into it. I'm going to read from NIV mostly. So Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers, or elders, and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God every time I remember you. See, there's thankfulness right there, gratefulness. He thanks God for them. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's thanking God that he knows them, that they're laboring with him, that they're working together on something that's a worthy task, and he's also... Seeing that God's going to sanctify them and make them more into the people that God wants them to be until Christ comes. So here he's actually talking about when Jesus comes back. So what are you thankful for in your own life? How can you change your focus from feeling negative when you do? Maybe you don't right now. But when you do, what can you choose and behave to thank God for in order to lift your spirits and to make you think rightly? Paul says, I pray for you, and it's always with joy, and I thank God for you. The second key is time with people. Remember, the first one is thankfulness. Time with people is the next one, and we see that in verse 5 here, which we just read. Um, Because of your partnership in the gospel. So they're partnering with him, they're working together, and they care for him. And, you know, if only they had Skype or FaceTime or... You know, whatever it is, Zoom. If only they had letters, you know, oh, they did have letters. They didn't have emails, you know, so th- it takes a lot of effort to have a long distance relationship with a church like this. So here he is writing this letter, but he knows that if he was there, they would be loving h- the fact that he was there and he would be happy to be there too. And it's that, that deep um, relationship that they have. They've shared with him in preaching the gospel, but also they've, they've sacrificed to give him funds so that he can carry on his ministry. And how many know when you do something for somebody, it endears you to them, right? If you do something for somebody, it's like, it shows that you love them or you care about them. And so since they've saved their own, first of all, they went to work, they traded their life for money and they took some of their life and they put it aside and they gave it to Paul. Like that's pretty, pretty amazing. And so that endears them to one another. Verse 6, he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So that is sanctification until Christ comes. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus do you see how he really wishes he was there with them and how he knows that if he was they would have a good time together this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and and blameless until the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And now I want you brothers and sisters to know what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And here's what I like. In the message, it says, um, let's see. I want to report to you, friends, that my imprisonment here has had the opposite of its intended effect. See, they threw him in jail to try to stop him. But that didn't stop him, and it didn't stop the gospel from going out. He said it's actually had the opposite effect. Uh, their intention was that the message would be squelched. Instead, the message has actually prospered. All the soldiers here and everyone else here found out that I'm in jail because of the Messiah. And this piqued their interest and their curiosity. And they've learned all about him. Not only that, but most of the Christians here have become far more sure of themselves in the faith than ever speaking out fearlessly about God, about the Messiah. Do you remember when everybody locked down for COVID and churches were closed? We even closed, I think for two weeks and uh, okay. Ingrid says five, (laughs) Um, but I remember there were some churches that didn't close. Like there's a church in Southern California, John MacArthur. I think maybe they shut down for one or two weeks, but then they opened back up and they're like, no, we're going to do it. And they got fined and they paid their fine. And then other churches started to get emboldened as well. And they're like, hey, if they're doing it, we're going to do it, too. And they're like, hey, we have this amendment right for freedom of religion. They can't tell us we can't do that. And so it emboldened people. Here Paul is sitting in his chains and other Christians are saying, well, if Paul can do that, I'm not going to be afraid either. And sometimes it just takes a leader to stand up and be bold because then it emboldens other people. And that's exactly what happened here with Paul. He says, here I am, I'm in my chains, and other people are speaking of God more courageously and fearlessly than they were before. So he's glad to know that the persecution against him is having the effect of furthering the gospel. Christ is preached, rejoice in that. And he actually says here in the next little bit, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy or rivalry, but others out of goodwill. And I was like, I've listened to this, believe me, over the, week, the last week, i probably listened to it 20 times in various uh, translations and read it and different things. And I love how the message says it here. He says, it's true that some here preach Christ because with me, out of the way, with me out of the way, I'm sitting here in jail, Um, they think that they'll be able to step into the spotlight. So think about that. By Paul being in prison, it's like it's created a vacuum. And now all these other teachers can step up and they can get some notoriety. And they're doing it out of their own ambition. They want to be noticed, they want to be seen. And Paul says, it's not really right, but other people do it with the best heart in the world, and that's great. One group is motivated by pure love, knowing that I'm here defending the message, wanting to help. Other people know that I'm out of the picture, and they're merely greedy, hopping in to get something out of it for themselves. Their motives are bad. They see me as their competition. And so the worse it goes for me, the better it goes for them, or so they think. So how am I to respond to that? How would you you respond to that? Would you be upset that somebody's preaching God because you're out of the picture, and now they're going to get some spotlight time? Well, Paul says, I've decided I don't really care about their motives. Whether mixed or bad, uh, or indifferent, every time one of them opens his mouth, Christ is proclaimed. So I cheer them on. So here he is cheering on his enemies. Not really enemies. They're co-laborers, but maybe out of a bad motive. And he's like, hey, Christ is being preached. That's the end result. That's awesome. So he chooses to be happy in that. And so, let's see. Here we see in uh, verse 18. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers, the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He's confident here. He's sitting in prison, and he's sure he's going to be with them again, and he's going to go into his explanation here. Um, Let's see. Verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but that I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to go on living in this body, that will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what should I choose? I don't know, I'm torn between the two. See, here he's thinking, there's two outcomes that are gonna happen. I'm either gonna be put to death, or I'm gonna be released. And he's trying to decide, which would I rather be? Would I rather be put to death or would I rather be released? And he says, um, let's see, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and that I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. What's going to bring them joy? His presence, his relationship, time together. And he says, I think that's more needful of you guys, and so I think I'm going to be released. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved and that by God, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Let me read that again. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle, you saw that I had, and now I hear And now you hear that I still have. So he's saying because of relationship, he would be happy to see them again. And he knows that they would be happy to see him, but whether he's able to visit them again or not, they still need to conduct themselves worthy of Christ right now. Stephen Christie kind of the, the leaders of our church body here our our, you know, like a parent figure almost they're out of of the way, you know, they're gone. Um, And so, Has anybody ever heard when the cat's away, the mice will play? He's saying, don't do that. (laughs) He's saying, conduct yourself the same way, whether I'm there with you or whether I'm not. Conduct yourself worthy of Christ, whether we're there to oversee that or not. And that way, if I only hear about you, I'll still be happy. And if we're together, we'll be happier together. All right. Next, verse, or chapter two, if you have any encouragement from being unified with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, like all those other people that are out there preaching the gospel with wrong motives, but in, humili- in humility, consider Uh, Ourselves consider others better than yourselves in humility consider others better than yourselves Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus and he's going to give us an example of Christ Jesus and what he did Well, here's the next the third one remember the first one is be thankful The second one is spend time together with other people the third one is treat others better than you'd want to be treated. Esteem others better than yourself. And so here he's saying, here's how Christ did that, how Christ esteemed us as better than himself. Jesus Christ, who being, in the very natu- who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He didn't try to hang on to the fact that he was this high spiritual power. Instead, he emptied himself He surrendered himself, made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and even became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So he didn't just become obedient to death, he became obedient to the worst possible kind of death ever known at that time, and probably since. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the father. So how many opportunities did Jesus have to pull rank? He could have done it so many times. Um, There he is being assaulted by the Pharisees and the scribes, and they're trying to um, poke holes in his credibility. You never see him stand up and say, do you know who I am? I heard somebody, uh, uh, there was a guy who was flying, and he was very upset. He was in the terminal, and um, he he wanted to get on the plane, and he couldn't. And there was a long line of people because a plane had been rerouted, and he, he wanted to talk to the person in charge. And he gets up there, and he says, excuse me, do you know who I am? And the lady's like, over here in Terminal 4, this gentleman doesn't know who he is. Is there anybody who could help? (laughs) (laughs) Jesus didn't do that. He chose not to exalt himself, but instead to be exalted by the Father. Think about if you've been wronged. And I know there's people here who've been wronged recently. Should you take that matter into your own hands? Or should you trust that to God? Jesus trusted that to God, and he was exalted as a result of it. So, moving on here, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. How true is that of us today? Are we in a crooked and depraved generation? Do everything, he says, without complaining or arguing. That way you'll be blameless. That means nobody can blame you for something. Because you're always doing it without those complaining or argumentative or grumbling remarks. Blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like the stars in the universe. Remember we're light? You shine when you do that, as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad to rejoice with all of you. So you should be glad and rejoice with me. Harry he is telling him again, be glad. It's like, be happy, guys, and rejoice with me. As you obey God, he works in you to do what is his good pleasure. So don't complain or argue. When you do, uh, when you do things, you, when you don't do those things, when other people expect you to complain or argue and you don't, you look different from the world. And it makes you that salt. It makes you that light. And then you can do his good pleasure that way. And Paul's glad to co-labor with them. Uh, because that's who they are. And um, those are the people of God. So he says here, he hopes to send in verse 19, uh, chapter 2, verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. See, he doesn't know what's happening unless somebody comes and tells him. And so he wants a report from people. I have no one like, like Timothy, no one else like him, who takes genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone else looks out for their own interests. Here he is back talking about the people who are preaching God out of selfish ambition. He says everybody else preaches out of, um, let's see, looks after their own interests. not Not those of Christ Jesus. Verse 22. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him to you as... Uh, As soon as I see how things go with me and I am confident that the Lord in the Lord that I myself will come soon So here he is saying again. I really want to come to you guys. I can't be there right now So I plan to send you my best I plan to send you Timothy I have nobody else as like him who would care for you as much as Timothy would verse 25 but I think it necessary to send Back to you, Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger from whom you sent to care for my needs. So here Paul is in prison, and the Philippian church has been saving up money. How do they get it to him? They have to send it to him through Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus gets to him, gives him the funds, and together they pray, they spend some time together in fellowship and love. He's kind of like a proxy for the whole church, you know, so he, he... feels like he's, he has that relationship together now because Epaphroditus is there, but I feel like I need to send him back to you now. And so for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard that he was ill. He was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God has had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. I mean, I was, I was sad that Epaphroditus was sick, but if he would have died, I would have been even more sad. You know, he's saying, I'm so glad that he didn't die, and I get sent back to you, so I wouldn't have sorrow for him being sick, upon sorrow for having died. Um, All right, verse, let's see, 28. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord, and with great joy, and honor him honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help that you could not give me. So when we see people who are risking their lives, when we see people who are sacrificing themselves for the gospel, we need to praise those people. We need to welcome those people and honor them. Um, And that's what he's saying here in verse 29 and 30. So chapter three, It almost looks like he's going to end. You know, like any good preacher, they say finally, and then it takes another 20 minutes. So (laughs) finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. uh, And it is a safeguard to you. So already he said twice, rejoice, be glad. Watch out for those dogs. Those men who, uh, who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Remember, he's always arguing against the, the circumcision group. Uh, there's people when he's preaching Jesus and he's preaching faith alone and Christ alone. There's all these other guys saying, no, you need to become Jewish, too. All you uncircumcised guys, you need to become circumcised and you need to start eating kosher. And he says, no, beware of those guys, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the spirit of God who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. He's like, hey, if these guys are going to put all their confidence in the flesh and say you have to eat a certain way, you have to be circumcised, you have to act certain ways. He's like, that's not it. That's not what saves you. And he's going to explain here all of the things that Paul could do. Uh, or that that he could glory in if it was really about that. And he's saying it's not about that. Uh, Remember right here in verse 3, verse 1, it said, Rejoice in the Lord, be glad and be delighted. And it's just a reiteration here that happiness is a choice. So here he says in um, verse, what is it, 4. If anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more reasons. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. So he's like, nobody could bring an accusation against me because I lived that righteously. But whatever, I wa- whatever was to my prophet before in that old life, now I consider it loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness that's my own, that comes from the law, but which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want you to know, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. So here he is, he's saying, all of this stuff that I, if, if, if it was really about the flesh, guys, I've done it. But he says, it's not about the flesh. You can't gain righteousness by following the law. You can only gain righteousness through what Christ did, and through putting your faith in him, and accepting that sacrifice of Jesus to pay for your sins. That's the only way you can do it. And so he says, I count all that goodness that I had in my old life, I count it as loss. It was was really, I might as well have been a heathen. I might as well have tried a cheeseburger. (laughs) I might as well have had pork, pork tacos. He goes, it's all like, it's all loss because that's not what it's about. So here he says in uh, verse 12, chapter three, verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this or that I have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, do not, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So here he's saying, yes, I do now have the righteousness of God. I have received payment for my sins. I am alive spiritually, and my spirit will go on to be with Christ forever. Eternal life has already started for me, but I haven't finished the race. There's still more for me to do. I'm not perfect yet. He says, I still need to become more and more like Christ. I still need to lay down my pride. I still need to lay down my burdens, my anxieties, my worry. I still need to consider others more than myself. And as I do that more and more, until the day of Christ Jesus, I'm becoming more and more like him. And I want to finish well. I want to finish this race knowing that I I ran the whole thing. And I see some runners here sitting in the congregation. And they've run way further than me. I, I feel good after running a 5K. They call that a sprint. <laughs> I'm like, come on, a sprint for five kilometers? It's just over three miles. But these guys run 26 miles. And when you run 26 miles, I, I haven't done it, but I would imagine you're not necessarily trying to win. You're just trying to finish. <laughs> and you're just trying to finish in, in a time that's better than the last time, you know? And you're, you're running against yourself, and that's what we're called to do. Paul says, I'm running a race, and I just want to finish. I want to finish well. And that's what we're all called to do. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. This is verse 15. And if on some point you think differently, that to God... Uh, if, if in some point you think differently, that too, God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we already have attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I often often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies to the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is their shame. He says some people still live for the flesh. Some people are still trying to figure out what they're going to have for lunch. And that's the most important thing of their day. Um, Guys, we need to be living with other people in mind. We need to be thinking on how we can become more like Jesus. And he says we need to get our mind off of earthly things. Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. I think this is another picture or looking ahead of when Jesus will come back. He says, we eagerly await a savior from heaven to come back and make all things right here on earth. And we are given that promise. We're just waiting for that. So in chapter four, verse one, it says, therefore brothers, You whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown." And by the way, has anybody ever seen in Revelation where the elders cast their crowns before God? I think this is a great picture here. The Philippian church is Paul's crown. It's not actually a thing that you wear so much as the people that you touched. Your crown is who you are touching here You bring those people with you. You can't bring any things. You bring the people you touched with you, and you cast those before Christ. So therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Euodia, and I plead with Syntyche, to agree with one another in the Lord. So he knows that there's this quabble between a couple believers, and he's like, put it aside, it's not important. It's like, everybody has it, there's people that annoy you, there's people that rub you the wrong way, but put that aside, because it's not helpful. Yes, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, to help these women, who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Guys, we're all, if you've accepted Christ and you allow him to cover your sins, we're all going to see each other again. We're all written in the Lamb's book of life and we don't need to be quibbling with one another. You know, we can put that stuff aside. So he says here in verse four, and this is key, rejoice. In the Lord always. And he doesn't just say it once. I will say it again: rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So, here in verse 4, I did a word study on rejoice. And uh, it actually means the same thing as the Hebrew one: it means to be happy, it means to celebrate, it means to have joy. Uh, And it is a choice. It's an action. It's a behavior. It's not a feeling. You start with your action, and your emotion will follow. So you don't have to follow your emotion. This, and then we're going to get into the next key here that Paul says, if you want to have a happy life. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Verse 6, chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and petition, and actually, I think the New King James says, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's like right now, we might have some worry. We might have some concerns. We might have some some negativity taking up our brain space. And we can't accept Christ's peace until we lay that down at his feet. And so supplication is actually deeper than just prayer. Like prayer, we can, we're talking to God. Supplication is like, God, transfer this from me to you. It's like laying your hand on like the goat. You know how the priests used to lay their hand on the scapegoat? And they would transfer the sins of the nation onto this, other, on, onto this goat. And then he would go out and take the sin out of the camp. That's how we are to have supplication. Petition with God that God, I'm just anxious. I'm worried about this stuff. But would you take that from me? And you keep doing it until you feel that lift. And that's when the peace of God will come in and transcend your understanding. So it's an intensity, it's an earnestness, an extended prayer. And it's not to gain merit with God, it's to see breakthrough, it's to actually receive something. To transfer those things from your soul to God's. To entrust your cares to God rather than worrying about them. It's really trusting that God is going to take that and he's going to make things right. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy... Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the the God of peace will be with you. So this is the last key here. Do you want a healthy heart? What would make it unhealthy? Worrying. Doubt. Negativity. Self-talk. Unforgiveness. Comparison to other people. Thinking about unfairness or lack. What you don't have and other people have. That'll all bring you a pretty unhealthy heart. So, the opposite of that is to think on these things whatever's true, what's true? Remember, Pilate asked that to Jesus? What is truth? Well, I have this awesome, like, thick book of cross references. And Ingrid's like, wow, you're really doing a lot of work on that. <laughs> I was. <laughs> I went through and I looked at all the cross-references for these eight words. God is true. So, humans are inconsistent. What does that mean? God is consistent. God's utterances agree with reality. That's truth. If it agrees with reality, it's authentic. It harmonizes with historical facts. You can look back at what things happened in the world and match that up to the Word of God, and that's true. And Ephesians 5, verse 9 says, truth is what is acceptable to the Lord. So, those are the things we should think on when we're thinking on truth. What's acceptable to God? What is true to God? The next thing, what's honorable? We need to think about what is honorable. And it's not lewdness, it's not drunkenness, it's not envious, it's not evil. It's things that are of good reputation. Think of an honorable person. They have a good reputation. You think well of that person. They're proper. They're above reproach. You know, if you, I think of um, when I was with my wife, we were, we were getting to know each other. When I went to visit her, I didn't stay at her house. She had a friend of hers put me up for a week. We'd see each other during the day. I would go back to this other house at night. And when she came to visit me, because we lived in separate places, I had a friend of mine put her up in her house. And that way we were above reproach. Somebody couldn't say, it looks a little off. Don't really know if anything happened there. It was not even a question. So that's the thing, of good reputation, proper, above reproach, those are things that are honorable, dignified, reverent, temperate, incorruptible, with integrity with good works. Somebody's honorable if they're doing the right thing. The next thing we need to think on, things that are just. Keep the way of the Lord. The Lord rules and we need to rule under God in the fear of God. We need to be lovers of what is good. We need to flee from wickedness, rebuke the wicked, not showing partiality to wicked people. That's justice. If a judge shows partiality to somebody who he knows is evil because maybe he has an affinity with that person. That's not a just judge. We need to think about things that are just, that hate evil. We also need to think about purity. That's the next thing here. Think of whatever's pure. What is pure? Things that abstain from evil, things that are unspotted, free from falsehood, without hidden motives, tested by sunlight. It's like if you have a white robe and you put it up to the sun to look for spots it's tested and found pure free of flaws walking uprightly working in righteousness speaking the truth in your heart next we have lovely commendable excellent and praiseworthy so lovely what is lovely well love suffers long it doesn't envy this is from first corinthians 13 It's kind, it doesn't parade itself, it's not rude, it's not puffed up, it's not selfish, it thinks no evil, it's not provoked, it rejoices in the truth, it does not rejoice in iniquity, it bears all things, hopes and endures all things and never fails. And in 1 Peter 4 verse 8, it says, love covers a multitude of sins. So if you're thinking about what is lovely, you're giving somebody the benefit of the doubt. You're not holding a grudge. You're not saving up these little things that you can use later as ammo against them in an argument. Commendable of good report, that's the next one. Think about whatever is commendable of good report. It's tested and it's found blameless. We need to be good stewards of our time, not idle, using it constructively to do something. One thing that's that's constructive is worshiping, reading the word, growing our spirit, man. We need to be in faith, honest, and pleasing to God. The next thing to think on is anything that's excellent or virtuous. Those are things of valor, undefiled and kept by the power of God. And finally, praiseworthy. Think of what is praiseworthy. Praiseworthy is a result of good works. You praise somebody, you pat them on the back, you say, attaboy, you say, good job, that's praise, when they do something good. It comes from good works. It doesn't come from good intentions. So, it's the result of good works, and the result of the position of that person. It's approval, with some degree of pleasure and satisfaction. It's worthy of admiration or merit. If you think about it, God praises us for the good things that we've done. He actually created us for good works in Christ Jesus. So if you're forewarned, then you're also forearmed. You're armed to take down that spiritual gravity. When you start feeling that pull downward, what can you do? Be thankful. Spend time with people. Esteeming them better than yourself doing something valuable for them You can treat others better than yourself You can trust That God will take those cares those worries those negative thoughts away from you transfer them to God in faith and Then think on the things that are above That gets your mind off of your own navel What shouldn't you do? Don't hide behind a fig leaf of alcohol or drugs. Or entertainment, seems harmless, but it's a distraction. Pornography, that's destructive. They all have a negative long-term effect. I mean, entertainment just in the fact that you didn't do something productive. You could have been using that time. You know, I'm not saying never watch a movie, never watch TV, never read a book. I mean, hey, we all do that, and it's it's good to have some time to rest. But that shouldn't be what our life is about. Do things for other people that make them happy. Because it makes you feel well too. Just remember, spiritual gravity is normal. Everybody deals with it. I deal with it. But it's not what it's not what happens to you. It's how you react to it. Is how how God sees us, right? We need to react properly. We need to overcome it. And it's like a muscle. You know, if you have if you have a muscle that you never work out, it's weak. It atrophies. But if you work it, it grows, and the next time it's easier. And so if you learn how to do these things, you'll get better at it. Alright, so I'd like to ask the ministry team to come forward, the prayer team. I'm going to pray for you. I hope this hasn't been too hard of a word. I don't intend it to be a word of correction, but I do intend it to be a word of instruction just like Paul gave to us. That when we feel that downward pull, when we feel that spiritual gravity, we'll remember these things. Father God, I pray that we would be thankful. Help us to choose to rejoice, to choose to be happy, and to do that, Lord, to be thankful for what you've done for us. To be thankful for what we have father god help us to spend time with people in relationship and fellowship treating them better than what we even expect for ourselves help us to trust you god with our cares to transfer those things to you and father also help us to think on things above not things down here father you've given us so many reasons to be joyful and thankful Help us not to compare ourselves to one another, but Lord, to run our own race, to try to get better each time, to practice those muscles. Hmm. You know, Jesus often went ahead and prayed before he knew he was gonna be tested or tempted. If you know you're probably gonna have some hard times this holiday season, I would encourage you to get into prayer ahead of time, to prepare your spirit, to prepare your heart, your mind, and to set your mind on those things that are going to lift your spirits, those things that are true. Amen.